Hello out there, film snobs. This is Film Snobs, teaching you how to be a better film snob. I'm James Owen, co-founder of filmsnobs.com, joined here on our second podcast by the other co-founder of Film Snobs, Dr. Stephen Himes. Hey, Steve. Hi, how are you, James? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I'm great. I'm great. Uh, Yeah, I think we actually got a pretty positive response to our last podcast. So Apple or Spotify hasn't kicked us off uh, yet. Um, But uh, so we hope you enjoyed it. Hope you subscribe to it. Um, I want to jump into our um, into our conversation today. Um, This kind of started one of the things I had as a as a as a hope ambition for this um, podcast, uh, since we are trying to talk to people who have knowledge about movies, the subjects about movies, and trying to you know be more than a traditional film podcast, other than just a couple of white guys sitting around talking, even though, again, this is going to be another episode of a couple of white guys sitting around talking, but talking to people who actually like kind of know about uh, things. And, and one of the things I want to do is kind of uh, focus on kind of religious uh based films uh, just because there's not a whole lot of conversation about that on film podcasts and one film that's kind of kind of caught my attention earlier in the year uh, was uh, a film starring uh, Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson called Father Stew. It is uh, based on a real person. It's based on a real story uh, about a um, about a guy from Montana who is a boxer in the movie decides he's too this is Mark Wahlberg by the way he decides he's too old to be a boxer so he moves to Los Angeles to act he then uh, according to the film actually gets some acting gigs he's on like one of those like kind of infomercials about a mop according to the film uh, but then like starts uh, dating a girl that he saw because she was trying to get people to come to their church he joins the church to kind of um, develop his relationship with her and the science he wants to become a priest and becomes a priest and he is a little rough around the edges he's a little uh i think we say it's fair to say he's a little foul-mouthed if um <laughs> force gump we're talking he'd say he really likes to use the f word in that movie <laughs> and uh you know he uh, and so then he and i'm not i'm not going to get into the third act yet because i will be honest with you that was not something i knew about before I saw it and it kind of surprised me. We might talk about it a little bit with our guest today, but when I was asking someone I had got, I had met last year, I met this woman, Don Goldstein, who was working on a book about a priest from St. Louis, who was one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, who apparently, Steve, this is going to be way more backstory than yeah. you were expecting, but apparently he had an office in the office where my organization that I run, no, I'm not a professional podcaster. Uh, we, she wanted access into that and she found us. And then it ended up being this conversation where I was wanting to talk to her uh, about a book I was writing. Cause I wanted to like talk to a writer about how to like get my book published. And so she, she graciously met with me and we started talking about this book and she in- in- introduced me to our guest today, father, Sean Raftis. Because she mentioned to me that he knew a little bit about his life being turned into a kind of intellectual property. And this has nothing to do with Father Stu. This is this is going to be probably another podcast one of these days. Um, he's part of the group of friends that have this lifelong game of tag 
going on. It was the basis of a Wall Street Journal article that became the basis of a movie from 2018, I think, uh, starring John Hamm, Ed Helms, Jeremy Renner, Hannibal Burris, um, a real Hollywood comedy. <laughs> and he was, he, he, he's lived this life. Um, when I talked to him last, um, last summer, uh, father, you were, you were still it at mm -hmm. the time. Are you still it? Have you passed that off to somebody? I passed it off uh, at the middle of February. It was great. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'll go into the, it was the day after Super Bowl Sunday. I flew down to Los Angeles and a friend of mine, Patrick is an attorney is a partner with a law firm and a friend of mine knows one of the other partners and suckered Pat into flying down to Los Angeles the day after Super Bowl Sunday. And she let, she got him into the business saying that she was going to give him, you know, we want to do this and this and this, but we need legal help. Well, he flew all the way down to downtown Los Angeles and, or flew into LAX and he drove into LA and I was waiting behind a uh, service door and they have it all on videotape and I nailed him and uh, <laughs> it was a complete surprise. He, it was great because she has like all her legal assistants ran on it and she will, her name's Allison Barker, very, very wonderful, extraordinarily uh, high powered attorney in the beauty care business, but she's also a friend and it was great. He, Pat bought it hook, line and sinker. He loved <laughs> it. I, th I was worried he was going to be mad, but she will give him business and she has given him oh. so, happy ending. So I got Pat in the middle of February on Valentine's day. So then he ended up going to Spokane in Seattle and a friend of mine who teaches at Gonzaga prep, Joe Tomberry uh, is it now he's finally it oh. <laughs> again. And that's that that's at the same school that it all started out in recess in the early eighties. Mm, okay. So I'm not it thankfully. But yeah, I, was, okay. I kept Itmas in Montana for a whole year. Yeah. <laughs> ah, the Super Bowl this year, a sore <laughs> subject for us Chief fans. Oh, I'm sorry podcast. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Great team. We didn't even get that far. Uh, yeah. Uh, honestly, honestly, you know, we, we really are season peak with the Bills game. Um, so, Father, like in addition to you being this professional, this, uh, this kind of being kind of famous, infamous for this tag game you were also a priest <laughs> you yeah. uh you were ordained 17 years ago you went to gonzaga university uh speaking of great sports institutions thanks uh you received your ma in communication from the edward r murrow school of communication at washington state university right. and uh, yeah you went on to the priesthood in 95 uh you received your ma in history of philosophy from Loyola university in chicago two theology degrees from boston college and currently, you're the parish priest at St. Richard Catholic Church uh, near West Glacier Park in Montana, which, by the way, I think I was mentioning this in email, absolutely one of the most stunning places I've ever visited, nature-wise. I just gorgeous, gorgeous part of the world. Thank you. It is. It's remarkable. And when you go on the going to the Sun Road, you start out and it's like, well, that's pretty. That's prettier. That's and all of a sudden, wow, it just, as soon as you go by the loop, people will know this who've been there and going on the going to Sun Road, it's just, it's unfolds and you just see, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And you see something different all the time. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. It's amazing. I've, I have went about 24 years ago and I haven't really? stopped thinking about it ever since. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons we wanted to have you on for this, 
this is like the longest introduction imaginable. You knew Father Stu. Yes, I was very, very dear friends with him. And he was my confessor and a good friend and a brother priest. And uh, yeah. I'm just very grateful to have known him. Yeah, because he was he was from Montana. But I think according to some interviews that you sent to us prior to this, uh, that he did with a radio show uh, a couple of years ago. He, 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 he was, he had a, he had his home mm-hmm. his church was in Montana. Right. In Helena. Yes. In Helena. Right. Which um, it's the capital city. It's in West yeah. Montana. It's like if you're in Spokane or it's about a three and a four mile, four miles uh, east of Spokane. It's right in the central part of Western Montana and towards the West. It's beautiful. But that is still pretty far away from where you are. Yeah. Uh, to drive. For, I, I'm up in near Glacier Park. I mean, and I think because, you know, you have to go either through the Swan Valley, which is gorgeous, but it's windy, or you have to go down to Missoula, uh, down to I-90 and cut across to like a 90 degree angle. And either way, it's going to take you about three and a half to four hours to get through. Yeah. There's that when you're when you're in Montana, it's just like, eh, an hour drive, you know, that's nothing. So it's 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 it, it is. There's the diocese, Helena diocese, is fifty two thousand square miles, and the eastern diocese is about a hundred thousand square miles. So wow. a lot of territory. It's, be, it's it's a little bit of everything. God's country, as they call yeah, it. Indeed, big sky country. Yeah, big sky country. Um, so I guess up in Helena and down near downtown Helena. He did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, and it kind of, because when I saw it, I saw the movie, uh, you know, I think it was very, he's a very interesting guy. It's a very interesting story. Uh, but there was a part of me that was thinking like, man, there's a lot in this. Like there's the whole thing about him boxing. There's the whole yeah. thing about him being an actor and becoming a priest. But then I feel like there was a lot missing there like i kind of felt like the the way it was portrayed in the movie like his decision to become priest mm-hmm. felt very um like it didn't feel like there was much put into it <laughs> yeah i would be really interested that, that was one of the things that i noticed last night is like i would be very interested to know from you know from a priest's point of view about like that journey and maybe like kind of filling in some some blanks that the movie seemed to leave to leave because uh one of my good friends that i taught with at saint Teresa's, what uh he who taught our theology class like he worked in prisons uh, as well and you know and bond and seemed to bond with the prisoners much more than some of the men that he you know studied with that were a little bit more intellectual and i thought that the movie like kind of raised that and then dropped it at the moment that it started to get really interesting about what that journey would be like mm-hmm. as you're going through the uh you know on your journey towards ordination yeah it's a little over the movie is a little over two hours uh, a friend of mine dear friend of mine uh father bart tollison he's actually if you look at the special extras in the dvd father bart uh, isn't one of them and okay. he was ordained with father stew and he went through i guess what you'd call what we call formation with father stew and and uh, it was like there's a poem called The Hound of Heaven. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, oftentimes it's not a, the call to priesthood, maybe a lightning bolt moment or like a moment St. Paul endured or, or went through and seeing the risen Christ. But there's also uh, like drops of water on a sponge, grace working on a man's life. And so 
there was that, there was that, uh, he did have these kind of lightning bolt moments as well. He'd had experiences that were mystical, uh, in particular during his, uh, accident. That's, that was true to form. He got in a car accident. He was hit by a car, then run over by a car twice. Uh, he was put in a room to die and his dad flew down bill and saw his eyes move and he fully recovered two weeks later, he was back at work full time, but wow. he was just a really tough guy. But it was it was a, uh, a progression. And then he had uh, when he was baptized, because the woman he was with is Mexican, very she'd had a, a reversion experience, said, unless you become Catholic, we're not going to get married. Well, at the well, he had an out of body experience in the, the motorcycle accident, a mystical experience. Then when he was baptized, he had a mystical experience to the uh, and he saw himself as a, a very strong calling to the priesthood. And then you know, he went from entering into the, entering into the uh, uh, Catholic church, then to discerning the priesthood. And he actually was, there's a, there's a priest on EWTN, Father Benedict Grishel, uh, who's, who is, a, he's passed away. God bless his soul. He was, he went, he is in New York city and there's an order called the Friars of the Renewal in New York city. And they, they minister to the poor and they're very, very good with outreach to the poor and fathers in stew before he, uh, before he um, became a priest, he, he went and received his, uh, a degree from Steubenville, Franciscan University, and then went to the CFRs in New York, and they, they told him to go back home to Montana, where he felt mm. called to be a priest. And so then, then uh, Father Stu, with the blessing of Bishop George Leo Thomas, who is now the Bishop of, of Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, ordained Stu, after Stu had made his theology studies at Mount Angel in Oregon, it's an abbey, it's Benedictine Abbey, but it's also a, what do we call a theologate? It's a place where uh, men are sent, you know, different, different dioceses send their men to different places like St. Patrick's at Menlo Park or the North American College in Rome or um, Mundelein, where, which is where uh, Dr. Uh, Goldstein received her doctorate. Um, so yeah, it's, it was a very, so he did go through those, those machinations and steps. And mm -hmm. one thing, Bishop Thomas, you know, they knew when he was at Mount Angel, he started losing his strength. And oh, by the way, he was also, he had gone to Carroll college and played football there. And I'm kind of jumping around, but he had gone to Carroll college. Um, this was in his early years and played football and he was a golden gloves champion one year, I think it was heavyweight. And then the next year, he dislocated his jaw so badly he had to have it surgically uh, put back together. That ended his boxing career. So he went down to Hollywood and then on all these, then therein lies his path to the priesthood. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, uh, and as a matter of fact, he was trained by, to box by Father Jerry Sullivan, who's a, who passed away, who is the cousin of Evil Knievel. And uh, what? Um, he taught, he taught <laughs> Father Sullivan. Father Sullivan taught uh, history at Carroll College, and you noticed that Stu would oftentimes make fun of the faith, or whenever the church would be brought up because he was agnostic, he was just, he was full of energy, Stu was, and he didn't suffer fools well, and he questioned everything, and Father Sullivan noticed, man, this guy's got a lot of energy that needs to be, so he said, he took him after class, he said, you should learn boxing, I'll teach you, I'll help teach you, so Stu was like, well, okay, so he went over to the uh, gymnasium, which, by the way, is now the uh, All Saints Chapel for the students. It's been renovated. And so 
That's where Stu learned how to box from Evil Knievel's cousin, who, by the way, Father <laughs> Sullivan used to give Evil Knievel a blessing before his every jump he made, with the exception of the infamous Caesar's Palace jump, oh. where, where, where um, John Derrick took a picture from at the beginning, did the motion, did the film from the beginning of the jump, and the actress, a lot of people don't know this, Linda Evans, had filmed the infamous crash where he broke all these bones. And uh, so, but that was the only one that Father uh, Sullivan didn't give him a blessing for. So Big mistake anyway, on his part. What's that? Big mistake on his part not to get the blessing. Yeah, yeah. It, but anyways, so, so Stu was affected by Father Sullivan very much and uh, learned out of box. But, you know, there was, you have two, you have two hours in a movie or maybe two and a half. If you're lucky to write yeah. in and, and Father Bart Tolleson received a call and as well as Bishop Thomas from Mel Gibson and Mark Wahlberg saying, look, we're going to make this movie, but we have to take some artistic license with mm. this. So and all your, your critique, uh, Stephen is, and, and James is, I think, um, a valid one because a lot of people talk to me and say, you know, I would have liked to have learned more about his exercising his priesthood, which he was. He was great. You know, he was assigned. He served up in Browning at the Indian Reservation down in Anaconda, which is near Butte, where Evil yep. Knievel's from. Then he served. Then then is when he was not able to walk on his own. Then he was he was assigned to the Big Sky Care Center where he lived from 2010 to 2014 when he died. Yeah. So that he, he ministered to so many people, I mean, among which was myself. I mean, and in the movie the line of people was not fictitious. That happened. There were lines of people wanting to talk to him and to get here is can have his, their confessions heard or just to talk to him. And they could, he could, he could really adapt to people and they could identify with him because he'd been through so much. You know? mm -hmm. So, I mean, you mentioned that he learned to box from this other priest. Yeah. So, I mean, but that was before he had. Yeah, he, he didn't like the Catholic Church at all. He just yeah. went to Carroll because they had a good football program. <laughs> <laughs> it's serious. It, he said yeah. he, was, he went to Dillon or he went to someplace in his freshman year and he hated it because the football team wasn't winning. So he said, hey, he heard that Carroll College had a great football program. So he, he applied and was accepted there and played ball. And, and you said his dad came down to LA. His, I mean, I think if I remember right in the movie, like the dad lives in LA. Yeah, that's a that's again an artistic license okay. that they took. And the tension between uh, Bill and Stu was a dramatic, um, a dramatic exercise in the film, which worked. And mm -hmm. I think there was Bill's very out, very, Bill's very soft spoken, a very genteel man. And, and his mother encouraged uh, Stu to go down to L.A. Um, and just to try out acting. And he did get bit parts in, in, in shows. He never told me what movies or what TV shows or what he was in. He was pretty humble. And uh, I used to kid him about it. But uh, uh, yeah, he, he but his what happened was after his motorcycle accident, um, his dad was notified. He flew down and Stu was actually put into a room to die. And his dad comes down and his dad sees his eyes, you know, flutter open. And Stu worked at a very famous uh, uh, museum, art museum in Pasadena. And he was at work full time again in the museum two weeks after a car ran over him twice and then he got rear-ended by a car. <laughs> Tough dude. Yeah. 
Soft spoken and genteel is not how a lot of people see Mel Gibson. <laughs> but you know, it's funny because Gibson, Mr. Gibson is 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 very interesting in that he is in real person a pretty soft spoken guy. Because they, Bart, Bart said that he's met him and he gets calls from him and a pretty quiet guy, introspective. He made a masterpiece of a film in The Passion of the Christ. So. He's a great filmmaker, director, actor. You know, he was won numerous uh, Oscars, including mm-hmm. a whole bunch for uh, Braveheart. So yeah. yeah, but he's 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 also he has this remarkable uh, his his acting as Bill in the film was exceptionally beautiful. I thought he really yeah. a, a film he did a couple of years ago. I think it was twenty sixteen. Uh, I don't ever hear many people talk about it anymore. It got some uh, award accolades, but uh, uh, Hacksaw Ridge, yeah, uh, Gibson directed, which I actually thought was a really good film about faith and uh, you know, and it was a pretty incredible story. Yeah, uh, about the uh, he was uh, was he a like a conscientious objector? Yeah, a conscientious objector who got drafted and got put as a medic. Right. Saved all these guys out of this impossible uh, battle scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, just a wonderful film uh, that he, he did. Uh, yeah, I think I think Gibson is a, a really good director. He he did not direct this. He produced it, I think, and stars in it. And his um, is his girlfriend. Yeah, his Rosalind girlfriend, Russell? Rosalind Ross, uh, wrote and and directed it. Yeah, so it was quite remarkable for she's she's an equest a professional equestrian gymnast i think and she's just must must be a mensa she must be a just a genius because she ended up entering into the the writing world and it's very well written very well directed so she so she's an equestrian so that means she rides horses horses and does like gymnastics on horses which is like if i i mean I, i ride horses occasionally but at the end of riding two hours, I'm ready to go into traction, you know, <laughs> much less, much less doing, hack, you know, gymnastics, which uh, I don't even want to picture that. Neither yeah. would you. No, <laughs> I, I, I can barely ride a four wheeler. Um, you know, uh, it, it, so I kind of wondered because I was kind of thinking about this kind of thing about like Steve and I having the same reaction to this and, and having you know is there and you seem like kind of a movie guy i mean is there any film you've seen that like does show like the epiphany of faith or like kind of the revelation of this in a way that feels like very pronounced or like something that you feel like kind of kind of relate like kind of shows what it kind of could be visually in terms of the living out the faith or the reality of the faith is that correct i just want to make sure or maybe having like that moment where it hits your when it hits your soul that like this is my life this is what i'm going to do i I think like i guess maybe i'm trying to think of like anything that shows an epiphany well there there's there's a couple movies that come to mind in terms of faith because oftentimes as Mel Gibson described in the advertisements for Father Stu, Sony did a great job of having these like little vignettes. Mm-hmm. You don't know Stu, you know, and what it's like, <laughs> and it's a faith-based movie. Well, honestly, yeah. the crossover aspect to this, but there's a, a, Morris West wrote a book called The Shoes of the Fisherman that Anthony Quinn, who played Zorba the Greek, starred mm-hmm. in it. It's a very long movie, but it's beautiful. Kind of prophetic. And then it's a movie about a man who is in the Siberian gulags, a priest 
who eventually got out of the gulags because they thought that he could be kind of used by the church uh, as a mediator between Russia and China. Now, this is a fictitious novel, but he was supposed to supposedly the first non-Italian pope elected in hundreds of years. Well, and then we had Carol Wojtyla, who was elected in the late 70s, who was the first non-Italian non priest elected in a long time. And so uh, The Shoes of the Fisherman really does a great job of showing the priesthood in action. And he takes on, a pope takes on a different name uh, because he's no longer himself. He's like dying to himself. And it's an mort act of mortification that he takes on a different name and that he's no longer you know, it's like I'm like St. John the Baptist, I must decrease, Christ must increase. And so the Shoes of the Fisherman was a great example of that because there are, there are moments in that, the transitional moments and these moments of uh, truth that show that this man realizes there's more at stake than just, you know, his life as a man. It affirms him as a man, but it also really, there's something bigger uh, than him, then he's that he's 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 serving. There's another movie that was that was written as a book that was uh, I got to know him uh, before he died. Bill Blatty, William Peter Blatty wrote the oh. Exorcist. Mm -hmm. yeah. He wrote that as an apostolic endeavor. And in the movie, um, who's Damian Carris, who's who's played very well by the actor whose name escapes me, Jason Miller. Jason Miller, and he. And Freed can cast him because he'd seen him in a, in a Broadway show. Yeah. But Jason, the movie that Father Damien's character was having a faith crisis and seeing the, 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 the premise of the movie that, that Bill said was, if there are devils, then there must be angels. And if there are angels, then God must exist. So he wrote the movie as an apostolic endeavor, showing the distinction or showing the reality of personal good or moral good and moral evil personified by uh, you know, the fallen creature, which is the devil possessing a little girl and God working through the exorcist, uh, uh, Father Marin, played by Max von Sido, the late yeah. Max von Sido, who did a masterful job. And then Jason Miller, who goes through a transformation. But it does. It's very true to form in terms of how a priest says mass, you know, how how because he was a psychiatrist as well. Jason Miller played Father Damien, who was a psychiatrist. So it shows kind of the reality of the personhood. And I think that's what Father Stu does is show the reality of, you know, it's, uh, it, it, he, was a, he was a real man. He was, he'd gone through a lot. And it, it's kind of like a, a story of St. Paul, a story of redemption or St. Ignatius of Loyola or St. Francis of Assisi, all of which were kind of secularists and had different interests in the church when they first started their lives, but ended up having these, in Greek, it's called metanoia or change of heart experiences, but they also brought with them their experience. And it with Stu, his being through everything that he had been through and becoming a priest drew people to him. And Bishop Thomas should be, I think it was his finest hour because Stu found out in theology that he had inclusive body myositis, which is a condition which mimics ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Right. And some people at the Theologate at which Father Stu was studying recommended him not to get ordained, but Bishop Thomas, this is another dimension of the movie that's different in that Bishop Thomas had prayed about it and he saw the, how 
Father Stu and his suffering could bring people to the faith, could bring people to Christ, the cross, and to not be afraid of it, because Bishop Thomas was very much, uh, he had met St. John Paul II, who, as you know, went through Parkinson's in a very public way. And by the end, near the end of his life, he couldn't make the way of the cross. He had to do it from his, his personal chapel, looking at the Via Crucis at the Colosseum, but in solidarity with everybody, but he had to watch it via live stream. So uh, it's, it's just very interesting. And, and you're right, you know, Stephen, and that, you know, it would have been great to see how he ministered to people because he was a really funny guy, yeah. you know, and, yeah. in, yeah. you know like, and they'd make a confession and they'd be really scared. And he's like, well, that's it. <laughs> well, one of the things that when they're done that, and he'd say, he say to me after a confession, he's like, put this in the wind column, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that I, uh, so I've got, so I've got two, so I've got two, uh, observations on that point. One is like, you know, uh, so I'm not Catholic, but I had, you know, worked in the church for 13 years. And one thing that I did notice is that, um, I, it feels like, you know, successful, uh, really successful priests get matched really well with the parishes that they serve. And I, and what I kind of got from the film was like, Father Stu was in the perfect place for him. Absolutely. And, um, you know, like if you, if you descent, you know, one of the Ivy League educated, you know, nerd (laughs) priests from the top of the class, you know, out to rural Montana, it just would not, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have uh, worked. But the other thing that I noticed too, was I was kept trying to think about Mel Gibson's role here, because one of the most intense and harrowing experiences that I've ever had in a theater, and I can still remember it to this day, is seeing Passion, The Passion of the Christ. We oh, saw it together. We did. It's really? Night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Ash Wednesday in 2003 yeah. yeah. or four? Four. Yeah. And the, the one yeah. thing that you can't help but take away from that film was Mel Gibson's emphasis on the suffering of the physical body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, and the, and one of the, one of the things that, that it, it, it was like watching to me, it was like watching, uh, you know, 60 Caravaggio's a second. And he even kind of like exactly. filmed. Yeah. He even filmed like, the suffering. Yeah, the take Christ. because one of my favorite paintings is Caravaggio's The Taking of Christ. Yes. And in and that way- painting, he wanted to make it a moving Caravaggio. I don't know if you ever knew this or not. But- no, that no, that was actually what I wrote about in the review where he had he, you know, put the light, they had done the cinematography. The, the light was off of the frame shining on in the way that Caravaggio would highlight the suffering of the wounds of Christ. Did I get that right, Father? Absolutely. Well done. Okay. <laughs> get an a yeah thank you and that was and that was where i think i synthesized that experience with that of father stew was that part of his uh witnessing of the faith was through the actual fig actual physical suffering of the body Mm -hmm. and that seemed to be the thing that that one of the things that really spoke uh, in his ministry that I kind of, you're right. You're absolutely okay. right. Oh, one second. Uh, I was, uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Well, sorry. I just tried to, sorry about that. I just was looking for a booklet that is out. It's called, it's called, uh, 
Uh, it's about Father Stu. It's a card he has, and it's on his card. It says, the cross is an invitation to love or something to that effect. Mm. And you're absolutely right. You're spot on because Bishop Thomas could have denied him ordination, but he saw the good he was going to do. So when Stu from 2010 to 2014 was an embodiment because a priest acts in persona Christi. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, he was got to the point where as Christ was on the cross defenseless because Stu could only move his hands a little bit so he could operate the electric uh, chair that he was in. So it's like his, his, his suffering manifested, you know, as a priest was uh, really drew people to have courage in terms of encountering their day-to-day sufferings as well. And to see him, to do what he did and exercise his priesthood was very beautiful, especially, you know, as he got became closer and closer to death. But you, that's that's spot on, uh, Stephen Exag. And Bishop Thomas knew that he would, and it's called actually they called it like Parish Two Two Seven at Big Sky Care Center. That was his room number, and yeah, it's called Parish Two Two Seven. He had so many hundreds of people coming to see him, and that's the you know and. Uh, it, it was just absolutely stunning to see, you know, people who are Catholic, not Catholic, you know, come see him. Yeah. Well, you this, mentioned in those interviews that you sent, the radio interviews he did before he passed, where he was talking about the accidents he had, the motorcycle right. accident, the car accident, and then having this muscular degenerative disease that he saw those as like, like, he, he I think he said something along the lines of like, he wanted to... He wanted to like feel he wanted to feel like in the presence of Christ. And that's right before he got the illness. And there was like a sense that he felt like that was him understanding what that felt like to be Christ mm-hmm. in, that, in that moment, which I thought was interesting. And talking about this reminds me of I think Steve mentioned this in his review, and this is like trying to recite this from 18 years ago with passion of the christ you talk about how much suffering comes up in mel gibson's movies oh yeah the man without a face you know yeah the the man gets tortured in braveheart he gets tortured in lethal weapon he gets tortured in conspiracy theory yeah uh it and i think remember steve you said something about how he uh he's a big three stooges fan he wrote the press yeah that's absolutely right yeah for uh, for a free three stooges book and produced a tv movie (laughs) and it almost like he found like he just finds something compelling about pain that's that's very uh, a friend of mine who's a priest basically said the same thing i think too because you know it's interesting that that the passions, um, small t, small p, it's like, you know, especially in Hollywood, you can have the, the allure of the flesh. And uh, mm-hmm. that's in, in contradistinction to the, to the reality of our call to suffer well with, in solidarity with Christ. So there's that dichotomy, which you saw firsthand, but you're right. Like we were soldiers. There's a couple parts of that I can't watch. Mm-hmm. This man yeah, gets burned I... by napalm and it's like, oh, I just can't yeah. watch it. You're right. He really does convey that quite and the man without a face you know mm-hmm. with, uh, there's that fellow yeah. who played uh, nick uh he was in terminator judgment day and uh he, he just did a great job and he conveys that very powerfully can we uh uh can we talk carmen for a second and that yes. character in the mm-hmm. film 
uh, versus uh, perhaps real life. Because when I, so when I was watching the, uh, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm an English teacher, you know, the classics. And so I see this character uh, appear on the screen. I'm like, oh, here comes Dante's Beatrice. And, <laughs> um, you know, but then I was like, you know, maybe, maybe this is more like Petrarch and, and Laura, but like that, that, that feminine character, right. That seems to call him to this, uh, you know, it seems to call him to this light. And, you know, in the film, I th- the actress, uh, was it Teresa Ruiz? Yes, Teresa Ruiz. Yeah. And then yeah. Jackie, Jackie Weaver played his mom. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, I felt like she did a really good job of trying to take a character that in so much, uh, in so many films that, you know, so many Christian films that I see kind of take that that female character and play her as a symbol that she really tried to imbue her with some humanity. Um, And I just wanted to know from, you know, from you, if there was anything about that relationship that struck you as, um, you know, in the film as uh, maybe, maybe not so much true to life, but as, you know, the way that, you know, Carmen in his life fit into his father Stu's like overall, like, uh, uh, journey towards uh, towards his ordination. Yes, uh, she was a catalyst and almost like a an unwitting catalyst to his his priesthood because she there's a really good four part interview on KNEH which is uh, Relevant Radio Helena uh, and Rose Casey did an interview uh, which uh, James referred to earlier in the uh, earlier in the podcast and in Stu said that he walked in the house and she was a a beautiful Mexican woman and he walked into the house or the apartment and she was vacuuming and she couldn't have looked happier. And he said her hair looked blonde. She had a glow about her, literally. And he was like, what is so great about vacuuming and what has you done to transform yourself? And she had had just been to confession and, and it was the first time she'd been confession in years. And she said she had basically talked to him and, and sat him down and said, look, you know, because they had been living together. And he said, she said, uh, if we're going to continue this and we're going to get serious and get married, you need to become Catholic. Now, this is where the part where the someone is introduced into the true life story, which was the catalyst for the movie, which is he goes to this parish to enter RCIA, right, of Christian Initiation for Adults. And this other guy walks in whose mother's Hispanic and his name's Ed Benehoff. And Benehoff's mom, Father now Father Ed Benehoff down in LA, his mom wanted him to be confirmed. He'd never been confirmed. So he goes into the church and then he sees this guy, Stu, who was in like this, like a leather Denver Broncos jacket and high top sneakers and blue jeans. And he said, okay, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to make friends with that guy. So they became close friends, Father Ed Benehoff and Father Stu. And so she had, you know, introduced, she had encouraged uh, Stu to become Catholic. And then Stu, Grace, as they say, you know, Grace works in ways we don't even know. And he has this mystical experience and he, he goes through that formative process of the right of Christian initiation of adults, and he gets baptized, and Father Ed gets, you know, confirmed, 
which is sealed. It's one of the seven sacraments, confirmation. And then, so it's very interesting that you mentioned that, uh, Steve, because, you know, she was a catalyst for him becoming Catholic. And, uh, and then he, and then years down the road after both father, when father Stu was sick and after he died, he was having dinner with Mark Wahlberg. And what does everybody do to an actor or writer? Hey, I have a really good idea for a movie. And the actor, the writer, <laughs> the actor, the writer's response internally is, I have some good ideas myself too. You know, so, <laughs> so but Father Ed Benhoff, to his great credit, he's kind of the unsung hero of this whole movie because um, he had kept kind of infusing Mr. Wahlberg about the knowledge of Father Stu, which mirrored Mr. Wahlberg's life. Wahlberg was in jail and a priest yeah. helped kind of get him out of the trouble he, he had been continually getting into in Dorchester. And so uh, that really, all of a sudden the, the penny drops and, and Wahlberg gets uh, the guy who wrote uh, Three Kings, his name's David Russell, I think, to, yep. do the first, to do the first draft. That didn't work out. Then oh, yeah, Father first... Stu, David O. Russell wrote the first draft of Father Stu. Well, he was working on it with, with Mark Wahlberg, yeah. Oh, that would have been something to have seen directed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and then he had another script writer come in. I don't know whether it was a script doctor or he had another draft. And I'd heard about it and I was like, no, that's not Stu at all. And so we thought it was just kind of like, okay, this is going to remain in a, in a in suspended animation. And then all of a sudden... You know, Father Bart and, and Bishop Thomas get this call from Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson. And get this, a lot of people don't know this. Um, they called, we didn't know the film was even going to be filming. And then all of a sudden, Father Bart Tolleson, who is a very serious guy, he's got a PhD, um, very serious priest, but a great guy, great sense of humor, but also he is... Uh, doesn't suffer foolishness well he's really good with people but he's just he's not the kind of guy who you'd think is kind of like a um you know stargazer so to speak so but bart had a mystical experience because the day i think it was either Wahlberg or, or gibson called him and said we're starting to film today bart said well you need to know something he said i don't have vivid dreams but I said, I did last night and Father Stu was in the dream and came to me and he said two words, I'm watching. So <laughs> they spread the word among the whole cast that Father Stu was watching. And Mark Wahlberg, you know, he, he is, is a really devout Catholic and they filmed the, a lot of the church scenes at Mel Gibson's private chapel in Malibu, by the way. And that's where the seminary was as well. So Mark Wahlberg made the movie in 33 days. Yeah. And in order, he's in method actor compliance. You know, how he, he ate 11,000 calories a day to, to gain the weight because once Stu got, became ill, he couldn't exercise and the medications he took made him gain weight. So that's real weight gain that you see wow. on Mark Wahlberg and talk about discipline. And uh, he, he nailed Stu's mannerisms when he was, you know, when he couldn't uh, walk and just the way he talked as well, it was, it was really well done. And so, so I guess they must have filmed some, most of that in continuity if he had to gain all that weight. I um, think I would, they had, they would have had to. Yeah. I guess 
one, I, I didn't know that Mel Gibson had a private chapel. Like, do people like, does he like invite people there? Like, uh, um, I think he has priests come in and say mass there, okay. but it's probably not public, uh, public, oh, it's not a public can't chapel. Go to Mel probably, Mel. probably also Latin mass, I would guess. Yes, it's the, it's, it's <laughs> the, in the extraordinary form, which by the way, I celebrated yeah. Um, for five years here at St. Richard. Now I celebrate the Latin mass, what's called the Novus Ordo, uh, the new order of mass. So, so yeah, he, he, Mel Gibson's very much in love with the, what we call the Tridentine rite or the rite of St. John the 23rd, uh, that missile from 1962. So yeah, I think that's pretty much, but it was interesting because in the movie, uh, the Monsignor who was based on Bishop Thomas celebrates mass in the Novus Ordo, which is very interesting. Hmm. And, yeah. And I guess it was also, I didn't know that Mark Wahlberg was Catholic either. I don't know. I mean, I've very I, devout, very devout. Yeah. Goes I, mass I, every day gets up at like 4 a.m. or some oh, crazy hour, pray, I, I, exercises. On his, on his, on his Instagram, he had his daily schedule, which I think starts at like 2 a.m. or something like that, where he works out and, Oh man, that guy's a machine. <laughs> he is. I don't know how he does it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, it's really, but he's very. He had a reversion experience, and and uh, just you know, when I saw him, I didn't meet him. I saw him, but he's, uh, you know, he's pretty. He's a very serious guy. And, you know, he spends a lot of time in Branson. Like we're both in Missouri, and like he's become really? obsessed with the golf course near Branson that's owned by the uh, founder of uh, Bass Pro Shops. They have like a like a professional golf course there. And I guess Mark Wahlberg has brought Justin Timberlake there. So, Steve, I don't know if you know all these celebrities who have been in Branson golfing, but uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg I, is the reason. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I had known a little bit about that because that that the golf course was – like uh, built to a little bit of like his specifications. Really? Yeah, it was. <laughs> this is great. You're going to love this because when he was giving his, uh, the, the movie, the talk before the movie, right? After Rosalind Ross did, Bill, you know, Father Bart Tolleson was there and he said the real hero of this night and of everything is Bill Long, you know, and Bill's such a sweet guy. And Bill, you're going to love this. Bill asked me, the first, I said, hey, Bill has a beautiful movie. There was a reception afterwards and uh, at, at a restaurant. And I said, Bill has a beautiful movie. And he goes, I got one question for you, Father. Who's it? So, he, <laughs> so, so, but Mark Wahlberg told him because he had visited Bill that day and had visited with him before doing research. And it was funny because said, I'll make a deal. He said, I want to thank you, Bill. He said, I'll make you a deal. When I come back up here, you teach me how to bass fish or fly fish, and I'll teach you how to play golf. <laughs> <laughs> Has that happened yet? Has Mark Wahlberg been back? Do we know? No, he, he went. Uh, Mark Wahlberg went to Europe to do press for Father Stew. He may have gone to like, I don't know if he went to Mexico or South America, but then he's working on a new movie. I saw some sort of an Instagram post of his that he's working on a new movie, but the guy's, the guy's a machine in terms of just making movies and very business-minded, but I'm sure he'll make, make the time to come. Cause he goes to the, he also, a friend of mine, Father Mike Poole had said mass for him at the Yellowstone club down right near the big sky ski resort. There's kind of a private Justin Timberlake has a place and uh, Jessica Beale, his wife has a place at the Yellowstone club, which is a private, secluded kind of exclusive place but 
a priest friend of mine, uh, Mark, wanted somebody to say mass for him that Sunday. So Mike went over into the into this uh, you know Airbnb they were renting and said mass for Mark. So yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> so um, so uh, to go to Europe just for a second, I uh, in uh, listening to one of the interviews with uh, Father Stu, he talked about um, one of his uh, most, uh, uh, an epiphany Mm -hmm. that he had in uh, the Cathedral de Notre Dame. Yes. Okay. Okay. So good, good, good. Uh, You know, yeah. And he was in, yeah, so he was in Notre Dame and did not speak French, of course, (laughs) but like almost communed with Joan of Arc. And as, you know, I've been listening to the convert, you know, our conversation about, you know, the role of pain and the role of suffering in uh, Father Stu's, uh, you know, conception of his ministry. I felt like Joan of Arc is actually like really the, the perfect figure for that, for that revelation. So Father Sean, if you know anything about that story and could tell us a little bit about that, that would be great. He was uh, in, in Notre Dame and he was on a pilgrimage to, to Lourdes. And I hope I'm telling this right. He tells it better. And uh, he saw the picture of St. Joan of Arc and he's like, who is that? You know? Somebody said, well, they pointed out who Joan of Arc was. And he just had this they call it a signal grace, um, a very moving experience of solidarity with St. Joan in her suffering. She was unjustly burned at the stake, and that was without the Pope's knowledge, by the way, and she was exonerated a few years after that. But uh, yeah, uh, he had a great affectation for St. Joan of Arc, and uh, because, you know, he was a fighter, literally and figuratively, and he always talked about putting on the armor of Christ in this world in which we're at war. You know, there's a cosmic battle between good and evil going on. And Stu knew that all too well. And he would encourage people to, as he said, you know, put on the armor of Christ, like St. Paul says, or, you know, there's a St. Patrick's breastplate of Christ. And so, yeah, he, he, he very much was devoted to St. Joan of Arc. I'm sure he invoked her, you know, various times, as well as Padre Pio, who's, who was a Franciscan, an Italian Franciscan at St. Giovanni Rotunda, and he had the wounds of Christ. He bled a pint a day from his wounds, and they never got infected. In 50 years to the day, he had the stigmata. They, he, they were gone before he died, but Stu loved Padre Pio, too, So and St. Therese of Lisieux, you know, but there's a picture. Father Bart has it. It was a little magnet that they put in the back of his uh, his wheelchair, and it was a picture of Father Padre of St. Padre Pio saying, "Pray, hope, and don't worry." <laughs> wow! Wow! Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it is a it's a it's a great story. He's a compelling character, uh, you know. When I when I say character, not like oh, what a character, what a card, but I mean, you know, he is a. It, it is interesting, you know, and, and kind of thinking about his story in, in terms of, of of pain. I mean, do you do you feel like and this is something I think a lot about? I'm not Catholic either. I'm Episcopalian. I was Methodist and my wife was Catholic. So we're both lawyers. So we just compromised on Episcopalianism. Uh, That's the midpoint. 
I, it's close enough. It close enough. Um, I mean, do you feel like to be a good Christian, to be a good Catholic, that individuals have to feel pain to suffer? Or is it enough to just admit you're imperfect, you're a sinner, and you have to just keep striving to, you know, striving for grace? I mean, what, how do you, how would you counsel someone like a lost soul like me on, on what that means, what you should do? The answer to the question is yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I think it's a great question. It is the question. Yeah. Because you know, one of the my favorite books I ever read after my father had passed away at the age of 60, I was 21. I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, who had survived Auschwitz and survived the Holocaust, but his whole family was put in were put in the gas chambers. He was an understudy of Sigmund Freud but eventually disavowed Freud's work. And he was the founder of what's called logotherapy, meaning meaning therapy. And he was, he basically said, you know, even if we're in the worst possible conditions, we can still choose our attitudes. We still have that freedom. And you can always choose to do good and doing a good act. And he, he talked about, he intuited a lot of things that are Christian. He was a good Jewish man. And we are, without the connection to Christ, who gives meaning to suffering, because that suffering is transitory, it's not permanent. So if, it's, if someone suffers, like for myself, I get migraines. Um, or, you know, I almost died four years ago. I had to have my colon removed because of stenosis and oh diverticulitis. And, and for seeing Stu, it you can have meaning and suffering and you can still be joyful, even though you're suffering, you, you may not, you feel miserable, but you're joyful because you're giving yourself over and uniting yourself to Christ who was innocent. And I remember getting a, you know, when you get those shots, when they're taking blood, I mean, just a little pinprick hurts like the Dickens. Mm -hmm. And just imagine what nails, pretty dull nails being driven into your flesh, which was done well by Gibson in the passion of Christ. So I think, for a person who's Christian, uh, for a person who's Catholic or non-Catholic, it's up to us. We still have the we still have the power and the free will to make our decisions to either see that meaning in suffering, and we live in a or to not, which can lead to hopelessness. There's a there's a, a profound um, number of of suicides, unfortunately. Or you see these, you know, you see these uh, shooting suicides, which are so tragic because it's. There's a, there's, there's a thing called natural theology where, where there's a God, you know, if people reject God, there's a God-shaped void inside all of us because we're naturally spiritual. We're going to fill it with something. So, you know, for Father Stu, he saw ultimate meaning in the suffering of Christ, which always leads to the resurrection. That's not the end. Of, the end-all be-all is not suffering and death, and that's it. It's, it's uh, like St. Paul said, if if it weren't for the resurrection, everything we do is in vain. So it's, and it's an organic part of a piece to see that suffering as a manifestation of our uniting ourselves with the crucified Christ in hopes of being united the moment we close our eyes uh, with the, um, the risen Christ forever through eternity. And you're not going to hear a whole lot of other film podcasts end on that note. <laughs> I, 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 you probably never ventured that you'd hear that or, uh, you know, so I, I just, I figured, Hey, 
That's that's a message of Father Stewart. It's about redemption. Everybody has a shot at redemption where there's life, there's hope. Never give up. You never know who, if St. Paul, who was on his way to commit mass murder to Christians, becomes, as Thomas Aquinas called him, the apostle, capital T, capital A. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's hope for everybody and there's hope in redemption. And that, I really think it resonates with people and it should resonate with people today, especially who are starving for meaning, who are starving for hope in the midst of the profound suffering that everybody's been through the last two and a half years. Thank you for those words, Father Sean. Oh, you're welcome. Father Stu could have could have articulated that better, but I figured, hey, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, no, it's great. And uh, again, Father Stu, uh, which came out on the uh, the Holy Week, is now available to stream or to rent. So we hope you go check it out if you haven't already. Uh, Father, yeah, I think uh, my my co-host had to uh, go to another commitment, um, but I uh, want to thank you. Uh, for coming on and sharing your thoughts, uh, sharing your insight on this subject. And I really hope you come on again. I really do. I do have other things I want to talk to you about. I, uh, I thought this was great. Thanks. Thank you so much, James. I, I really appreciate you having me on, you know, Don, I want to thank Don, Dr. Goldstein, as yeah. well as yourself for being so patient and uh, I hope I didn't turn your ear into hamburger by rambling on and on, but oh, no. I'd love to come back and, and, and talk with you anytime. Uh, this is, this is great. And I, I've done research on, you know, your podcasts and what you do in terms of, uh, of, uh, renewal, renewal oh. and sustainability. I think it's great. So thanks a lot. And I, I really appreciate your love for film as well. So thank oh, you. Oh yeah. I, uh, I do, I do have a lot going on, but it's all stuff I feel very passionate about and, uh, really much care about. I, I did want to share one factoid. You're talking about William Peter Blatty. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my favorite bits of trivia about him. Uh, one, well, one the other one thing is I always heard that was based on a, a real case that happened at Wash U in St. Louis. It was, and it culminated at St. Louis University. Yeah. That's where yeah. the, it was a boy, and that's where he was liberated. Yeah, but uh, Blatty was a contestant on You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx, <laughs> and and won. And he got some money and Groucho Mars asked him, like, what are you going to do with this money? He's like, well, I'm going to take some time off and I got a, a book I want to work on. And that book was The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> That's a great factoid. Well, I, I, I got one factoid for you. I think you yeah. the voice of the demon in The Exorcist is a distant relative of mine, Mercedes McCambridge, who uh, I, my mother was a McCambridge. And so. Yeah. I never knew her. My mom knew her. I never knew her. It's a she's a distant relative. But uh, Friedkin wanted a voice that was neither male nor female. She started out in radio, won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in the James Dean movie Giant. So yeah, but uh, it's a, it's a great story, and uh, that's great about the Groucho Marx thing because he he wrote the book in Lake around in a cabin in Lake Tahoe too. So. Mm-hmm. That's what he did with his money. The, you know, there's always a story, and I hate to talk about this if this is a distant relative of yours, but is this story true that when she was recording that, she was like a recovering alcoholic, but she drank to like yeah. bring out something that she thought was sort of demonic? Am I getting this right? Well, I, I don't know about that. I don't know when she got sober. She was an alcoholic. She did get sober, was very active in Alcoholics Anonymous, but yeah. I don't know the time frame. But Bill Friedkin had her either gargle with or drink shots of whiskey and smoke cigarettes to get the voices 
that's what demonic. it was. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause it was really like a pretty intense. I mean, like you think oh. about how intense that is on screen. I can't imagine how intense that was trying to like actually capture that. I can't imagine. And there's actually, she's uh you know, it was interesting. Mercedes McCambridge also presented the Academy Award to Frank Sinatra for winning uh, his Oscar from here to eternity. Oh, right. Okay. Great. And she cheered when she read Frank's name and then, but yeah, she, uh, it was, uh, it was quite a, quite an endeavor, her association with that. Uh, uh, but I think it was great casting. Yeah. The, the exorcist. And then God, what's that? You're like Z leg. <laughs> <laughs> Forrest Gump, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying? Oh, no, you know, it's, it was very touching because uh, Bill, whose wife's Julie, she's just a sweet lady. And Bill is a real humble guy. You know, I, I, I visited him a couple of years before he died at his home in Bethesda. Mm. And uh, you're not going to meet a nicer guy. Very funny. He wrote a shot in the dark that he was a comedy writer before. He yeah, did this little right. Peter Sellers, a shot in the dark. He was a comedy writer, but then the bottom fell out of the comedy business. But so he wrote The Exorcist and he was given an Academy Award for it. I think yeah. it was best screenplay. And you know his acceptance speech and you can look it up on YouTube. He was very short. He said, you know, I'm very humbled. Thank you very much. My mother and father came over from Lebanon in a cattle boat. Wow. So he's basically I made it from there. He went to ended up going to Georgetown and uh, it was a very humble, very beautiful acceptance speech with absolutely no guile or pretense. And he was a very kind man. So yeah, it was, it was, it's an amazing work. And the anniversary issue of the, of the book came out, which has a, uh, and also there's an extended version of The Exorcist, which has a very beautiful dialogue between Marin and, and, and Damien Karras during a break. Where he's oh, talking yeah. About the nature of evil and how, you know, there's good and evil. And so it's just quite remarkable. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've never really talked to anybody in the, in the, in the church about that movie. I, I am, I am continually fascinated by that film and about like mm-hmm. how it how it does. It is so smart oh. in how it talks about religion and theology, which is which you don't see in a lot of horror movies that have tried to rip it off so much in the past fifty yeah. years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Father, thanks again. Thank you, uh, James. I really appreciate it. It's great yeah. talking to you. Great talking to you, and thank you all for listening. I hope if you're subscribed, if you're hearing this, you subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple that you share this on your social media pages and that you leave a review on behalf of film snobs. I want to thank our guests. I want to thank Steve Himes and I want to thank all of you. And to remind you to, until we talk next time to take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks again.